Broadcasting from an undisclosed location in South Texas, this is an on-quarantine edition of American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation. Here's your hosts, Ben Dietrich and Teddy Burkofer. Hello, everybody. To all of our listeners back in Hillsdale, Michigan, and or listening online around the country, this is American View on Quarantine. I'm Ben Dietrich. And I'm Teddy Burkofer, wishing you guys a happy Good Friday and an Easter weekend. That's right. So as the nation gets ready to celebrate Easter on Sunday, it's a little bit different this year. This is probably one of the darker Good Fridays that we've had in quite some time. Um, people are having to celebrate at home. And if you're in Michigan, you know that absolutely under no circumstances, according to the governor, should you be traveling to see any family. You got some draconian measures being put in place by Governor Whitmer, not my favorite person in the world. We'll have plenty to talk about her on today's show. Later on in the show, you can expect to hear from Dr. Jeffrey Barkey. He is a physician doctor out in California. And um, he's got some of these new antibody tests that we talked about with Victor Davis Hansen last week. We kind of gave you a preview of what is becoming a major national news story. And I expect will be the big story next week because what they find out from these antibody tests that they are going to be conducting all across the state of California in the coming days is going to say a lot about whether or not this, this virus is really as deadly as we think it is. So more on that in the second half of the show. We'll come back to that. This is American View on Quarantine, where Hillsdale meets the nation on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Be sure to check us out online at American View WRFH on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at Ben underscore D-I-E-T-D where you can find all of our episodes. And like I said, we had a great interview last week with Victor Davis Hansen that you don't want to miss. But for now, Teddy... Um, tell me a little bit about uh, what's been happening in Michigan. I mean, so I understand the governor now has revised the stay-at-home warning, and she's making it even more stricter. So be careful, Hillsdale students out there, if you're you know driving to the grocery store, um, if you're if you're going over to you know Graceland or another Hillsdale house out there, the the popo could come after you. I don't know if the Hillsdale police would, but you know um, it seems that. It, she was frustrated that obviously Michigan, specifically the Detroit area, is not doing so well with the virus. And so, of course, her reaction is, I'll just, you know, prevent our citizens from uh, being able to do more things. And now that includes even gardening. Isn't that right, Teddy? Yeah, it's quite a peculiar ban. I mean, it seems like if people are going to be stuck at home, one of the things that they're going to want to be doing naturally is honeydews, natural you know, things that they needed to do around the home in order to bide their time and wait until we can get back to work and, you know, get through out to the other side of this whole pandemic. And yet Governor Whitmer um, has, I guess, noticed too many people in the stores. And instead of maybe limiting the number of people per store or enforcing the social distancing six feet apart rules, they have just outright banned shopping for any gardening supplies. Kind of crazy at a time like this. Spring is coming around the corner. It's time to start gardening. It, this is the best time to do it. Nobody's going to have time off like this. And it's uh, it's just some craziness from Governor Whitmer. Yeah, well, my thing is, you know, I, I don't think she really even noticed more people. You know, obviously they think that, that social distancing, they, because of the experts, that that is the only way that you can battle this disease. 
how much how many people are you really saving like by preventing them from buying you know a bag of dirt at walmart when they go and get their groceries i you know based on like what is the what is the effect on people when you're preventing them from doing any home improvement projects you know no longer it's not just gardening you can no longer go and buy paint you can no longer go and buy gardening supplies furniture anything any of those types of things um and like teddy said it's not just instituting okay only this many people can be in the store she's shutting down just more of the economy and I don't really see what you gain from it. You know, I don't. I don't think you gain much. What does it really change? Nothing except perhaps becoming an even more unpopular governor. I just want to remind all our listeners out there of what Governor Whitmer's record has been in this state during this virus. Let's not forget that you know when President Trump touted that hydrochloroquine might actually be helpful. She decided that she would send a threatening letter to all doctors in the state saying, if you dare use this drug, there will be consequences. You might even lose your license. I mean, this was a drug that was actively being used to treat people in Detroit, some of the worst places of, of this virus. She cared more about scoring political points with, political, with President Trump than she did about the lives of her own citizens. So give me a break. I'm, I'm frankly tired of you know, hearing about her going on MSNBC, all the latest talk shows, people acting like she's going to be this great vice presidential candidate. Well, you know, from everybody I've talked to in Michigan, I don't think she's that popular anymore. I think her approval ratings have really tanked. Um, and, and, and frankly, you know, ever since she wanted to impose the highest gas tax in the country, you know, I, I have found her to be very dislikable. And personally, I can't wait until voters reject her the next time that she is on the ballot. Um, but, you know, it's not just her. We also have this whack job of a attorney general who tweeted out some crazy stuff. I want to share with you some of those those tweets. It's the attorney general of of the state of Michigan, Dana Nessel. So she tweeted out, I just can't hear about one more black health care worker, police officer, or bus driver die while getting a barrage of complaints from white folks outraged because they can't go golfing. I mean, so this is what she's suggesting here, that people who complain that they can't go to the parks or can't go golfing, that, that, that somehow they are responsible for the fact that, you know, Governor Whitmer and her, her office is, is doing a poor job managing the health crisis in Michigan. You know, blame the white constituents because, you know, incite some sort of race, racial tension in your state during a crisis. That's a great thing to do, you know. You know, so so much for being a uniter in your state when you have people, you know, basically saying that the white people in the state are selfish and are somehow responsible for the deaths of of, of blacks in your state. Great job, Dana Nessel. You really you really sound like you're doing a great job. She she tweets on the high rates of infection and death within our African American population is staggering and horrific. It further establishes how African Americans are treated like garbage when it comes to equal opportunity and access to health care, housing, education, and employment. Did you get that? Hillsdale residents out there, she believes that you are treating African-Americans like garbage. That's what she's saying to all the white Michiganders out there. Every one of us who serves in government must double down on our commitment to do right by the African-American communities in our state and across the nation. Failing to do so is a complete abdication of our obligation as office holders. I mean, this is the time where they want to establish identity politics and divide people as much as possible. You know, it's it's so shocking, so political, and frankly, so disgusting. And it just makes me really angry. Teddy, what, what did you think about all this? 
Well, personally, Ben, I think a lot of it is just uh, posturing, politicking, uh, which is kind of shameful during a crisis like this, uh, but not totally unexpected, I would say. Um, it seems like, personally, for me, from what, I, from what I'm seeing down here in Texas of Michigan, that uh, Governor Whitmer is trying to position herself favorably, even for national office this coming November. I wouldn't be surprised if you see her on the vice presidential ticket behind Biden. Um, I think that that one of the biggest tells of this was their choice of her to do the State of the Union response earlier this year. And now she is uh, proudly declaring herself that woman in Michigan because of a uh, remark that Trump made about her. Uh, of course, I think that hopefully, and I th- and I'm I'm not I I will be surprised if uh, the people in Michigan do uh, support her through all this because along the lines of this of this crazy like loony attorney general that she has working underneath her, uh, Governor Whitner, Whitmer announced yesterday that she is creating the first coronavirus task force on racial disparities. So yet another kind of racist, kind of uh, ideological task force, do nothing kind of thing going on during this time in which people are truly looking for answers and good policy. We are getting just in Michigan, at least, just terrible bickering back and forth about inanities. I mean, things that don't matter. Uh, Of course, people are disproportionately in the African-American community are being disproportionately affected by this virus because the people in African-American community are disproportionately have worse access to healthcare and things like this. Now, to say that the, this is like because of racism and because people want to golf, that doesn't help any of the problem, even your own problem. It's just a very funny situation. I don't think anyone in their right mind thinks that this is the kind of thing you need to be doing right now. It's kind of funny. Uh, Whitmer tapped her lieutenant governor Gilchrist to run the uh, to task head up this task force. And uh, one of the quotes here he says is is quite funny. He says, that's why we're taking immediate action to assemble some of the greatest minds to tackle this racial injustice now and in the future. And it was quite funny to me to think about uh, this, the sentence, greatest minds uh, and racial, tackling racial injustice. I just don't think those go together very well, Ben. I think that the uh, greatest minds should be focused uh, on maybe curing the coronavirus. But no, so if you're a Michigan resident, no, this is what your taxpayer money is going towards. You know, great Governor Whitner and her castle in Michigan uh, is is making sure that your tax dollars are not going towards helping people necessarily in this crisis, but creating what she calls a racial justice task force. Sounds great, doesn't it? Maybe not. Um, maybe Maybe you are as outraged as I am. I encourage you to call her office. I understand there is a civil disobedience thing coming up online. You can find out about where people are going to be all driving their cars to Lansing and uh, parking in front of her house or something like that just to, you know, bug the living daylights out of her. And, um, you know, do as you will. There's something to be said about that. But, you know, yeah, I, it's it's incredibly frustrating. And, and frankly, this is not something that you can say both sides are just playing politics it's it's really funny to watch this pan out we got the media we we talked a lot in the first episode we did on quarantine about hydrochloroquine the newest story to this this week is that the new york times came out with a story talking about how president trump has stock 
invested in one of the major companies of hydrochloroquine. How much stock does he have now that it, this has been fact-checked? They think it's worth probably around $1,500 at most. It could be as little as $250. And that's the major profit of stock that he's going to profit off of. I mean, if it doubles, that's that's almost $3,000 at most. I mean, apparently that's a lot of money for President Trump. I mean, give me a break. So they, they had to show this was the new story, you know, oh, he's politically benefiting off of this virus. You know, I saw a great meme out there today by Charlie Kirk, and I know some of our listeners back in Hillsdale don't like him so much. I, I, I'm i more of a fan than others. I, I just thought I would share this with you guys today. He made the point on Facebook or Instagram that, uh, you know, isn't it ironic that Nancy Pelosi tried to impeach President Trump uh, for withholding aid to Ukraine? Um, for political reasons. And now, just this week, Nancy Pelosi is withholding aid to the American people, to American small businesses, a lot of which are in Hillsdale for political purposes. Uh, the newest saga in this debacle in, in, um, in D.C. is that Harry, you know, Mitch McConnell just wanted to add, go from a couple hundred billion, I believe it is, to add a couple hundred more billion to the small business loan program because they're going to run out soon. And that's all he wanted to do. Pass a simple bill, get a task done that everybody should be able to agree on. But no, the Democrats once more have to get as much, you know, political gain as they can out of this crisis. There is, you know, it, it is so disgusting that they come to Washington, D.C., and, and they think that, you know, when there's a crisis hitting America, American families are suffering. Not only do they vote themselves in a 25% pay raise, they still want to milk the bank. And now for the first time, I got an alert last night, Teddy, saying, oh, people are starting to worry about what could happen if we spend $5 trillion just to fight coronavirus. Maybe the debt could be an issue. You know, it's suddenly occurring to people that, hey, you know, maybe it's not great that we're just spending trillions of dollars that we don't we don't have. You know, this is something we talked about the first episode. China, this is exactly what China wants. They're, they're the ones buying a fair amount of our debt. What happens when they default us and we've spent trillions on this, this coronavirus? I mean, it puts them in a perfect position of power, wouldn't you say, Teddy? Yeah, and I've heard just this week that the uh, Department of Defense is asking for uh, actually an increase in money um, in order to secure up some of their security operations in the uh, Pacific Ocean. They're worried about China is ramping up. It looks like China might be ramping up some of their military operations in the South China Sea um, over some of these disputed territories that they have down there. Uh, it's quite interesting. It's looking like, you know, after coronavirus, there might be a shape up uh, between China, uh, a face down between China and uh, the United States. I, I mean, I hope that there won't be. I think that come November, I think you'll see this election as a referendum on America's China policy. I think that for too long we've ignored the fact that China might be our greatest geopolitical rival, and we've been spent we've spent too long trusting them. It needs to be a referendum not only on China. You're absolutely right about that, but a referendum on the irresponsible Democrats in Congress and some of these governors as well who have chosen to play politics so obviously in a time. Of crises and people say oh well both sides are doing this no not 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 in the way I'm talking about 
My best example is, you know, tell me one thing that the Republicans right now have tried to shove into these these uh, coronavirus aid bills in Congress that has been politically motivated. Okay, Republicans aren't necessarily for you know stimulus and you know dumping money into the economy, but they recognize that you know in a t- crisis it might be a good temporary thing to do, and you know. Of course, on, on the left, a side that loves the idea of experts managing the government, that loves the idea of taking away as much power as it can from the consent of the governed, from the, from the leaders that are elected, and putting it into the hands of bureaucrats, of you know, experts, that loves the idea that our country right now you know, cares more. They, they want to perpetuate the idea that we should be listening to experts, not the elected leaders of the country. It's why so many networks are no longer covering President Trump's news conferences. They love all of that. They love taking away your control and your power in the voting box. It's another reason that one of the things they're trying to push through right now is, you know, mail-in voting. The idea that you don't need an ID to vote, that you can just, you know, make a ballot and mail it in and say you're Joe Schmo and <laughs> you're fine. It's literally that easy. Um, it, it has always shocked me how they can do this in the United States because I know of no other country. I, you know, I talk about this a lot in American View here, which we're listening to in Radio Free Hillsdale. I've talked a lot about the fact that in Austria, I remember um, in high school um, watching my girlfriend vote and she had to use her ID to vote. And I remember thinking, that's odd. Like, this is a socialist country. It's so liberal. They even let 16 year olds vote in Austria. But they still make them have IDs. Of course, how how are they supposed to know who the heck you are when you show up to the voting box? It's not an insane thing. It's not ridiculous. That ploy is completely motivated by the fact that they they want to make voting as illegitimate as possible. Just another way in which they are trying to politicize this upcoming election. Do not let them do this. If anything, I hope what people have seen for the last four years, whether it's the Brett Kavanaugh fiasco, the impeachment scandals, and now the politicization of this coronavirus is that you cannot trust these people to lead, okay? This is the Democratic Party imploding. They have no concept of statesmanship, no concept of putting country over party, and it's going to make President Trump, I think, I hope, win. And according to the polls we're seeing right now, Americans are feeling that. They're feeling that in Wisconsin, where he's up by 10 points. They're feeling it in a new Fox News poll that shows President Trump has the highest approval rating he's ever had in his presidency. And and boy, am I am I glad to see it. Um, so I want to share with you guys some some data before we go here. We're going to take a break um, in a couple minutes, but uh, let's talk about another you know interesting data set as we move forward um, and we move out of this Easter weekend. the The most influential study that we've been seeing, the one that Dr. Burks has been using, the White House been, has been using, has originally said last week they were saying we expect 100 to 200 thousand coronavirus deaths in the United States. That number was revised on Monday to 80 thousand deaths. It has now been revised for a th- second time this week, third time since the recent original number, to just 60,000 deaths. Um, the curve for most states, they say, is, is, is reaching its peak this week. Um, now, some people would say, oh, this is because of social distancing. You know, you know what I think? And this might be controversial. I think we're just learning that these people really have no idea what the heck they're talking about. We, we have estimates of what we think, you know, works for this virus, but it is all an experiment. And that's why I'm personally so excited to see antibody testing done um, to see if this virus is really as deadly as we think it is, or if it is that we are just not testing that, all the asymptomatic people out there. And so when we only test a small portion of the society, 0.5% of America, then the death rate looks really high. You know, that's what I wonder. Because if, if, if it's the same as a flu, that changes everything. We'll talk about that more in the second half. But Teddy, what did you think about these 
number changes that we've seen this week? What does that make you think about? Certainly, I think that it just goes to show that uh, technocracy, trusting the experts uh, is... Yes, it's not it's not a it's not the best thing that you can do during a time like this. I think that you have to trust gut. You have to trust true true and proven experience over mathematical modeling and hypotheticals. I think that the whole reason we're in this mess and like I mentioned on the first episode is because we were trusting the information coming out of China, which you cannot trust. And the whole reason why China got into the mess is because they are run by experts. They have unelected officials who are the quote-unquote experts in their fields doing whatever they need to do. Dr. Arne, uh, president of Hillsdale College, uh, gave a great talk about this. I recommend anyone go go back and look at his conversation with and watch his conversation with Dr. Whalen from earlier this week. I believe it was Tuesday when he announced that Hillsdale, unfortunately, would not be returning. Um, he goes on, classic Dr. Arne, to talk about how we you know, as a society need to trust statesmen who have the architectonic art. Politics, you know, as Aristotle says, is the art of all arts, where you have to take all the different experts in all the different fields and all of their different views into account because their views are going to be different. A economist is going to look at things like an economist looks at things and a scientist is going to look at things like a scientist is going to look at. And you have to find the right balance between those two views in order to create the best policy. Yeah. The, the, the obvious point here is when what Teddy, I think brings it brings to light is that everything that the left has been advocating for trusting the experts, you know, having experts run our country, the administrative state, it all has kind of come to an extreme in, in this crisis and their dependence on that. And um, what you see Governor Whitmer doing, you know, she doesn't get the results she wants. So her reaction is, okay, I'll ban gardening and painting, essentially. If you don't have, gar- you know, gardening supplies, you better bet you can't go and buy it at the store anymore. So she does that because she wants to continue her control. And it's, it's just the obvious solution to this crisis is for her to take away your rights. That's her solution, and it will continue to be her solution because that's the way these people think, Um, and that's socialism. That is what China does uh, on a much more extreme scale, and this crisis has allowed us to see that a lot of these Democrats in the United States, they think the same way. Um, So, you know, with that, we have to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll have Jeffrey Barkey on the line, hopefully, to talk about antibody testing. And um, a big movement that we will see in the coming weeks. This has been American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation. Welcome back, everybody, from that short break. This is American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Ben Dietrich, and joining me now for the next 20 minutes is Jeffrey Barkey. He is a doctor, a physician, and a good friend of mine. Uh, out of Newport Beach, California, where he is a physician at Personal Care Physicians. That's out in Orange County. Dr. Barkey, thank you for joining us. We're always so glad to have you on. You're very welcome, Ben. Nice to chat with you, and uh, hope things are going well in uh, Hillsdale. I got to say, as we get started here, Michigan these days feels an awful lot like progressive California with all that Governor Whitner has been imposing. How's California going? Yeah, you know, uh, I... Michigan's got nothing on California, so uh, 
you know, um, you know, don't don't have uh, I don't have too much pity on you. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. There's a there's a local cigar lounge, if you will, that that I enjoy going to from time to time. And they've turned that into literally a speakeasy. I won't give the name, uh, but they're allowing people to go in through the back door. They have appropriate distancing inside, but they're open for business kind of in a 1920s wow. prohibition model <laughs> uh, where people can still go and enjoy a cigar. And it, it makes it especially fun because technically it's illegal for us to do that. Uh, and, uh, and so there's a certain era of, uh, of being a rebel by going in there to smoke a cigar. Wow, that's that's insane. All the way back, takes you back to the Prohibition era like you were talking about. I mean, last week we talked to Dr. Hansen. He's also from, from your neighborhood of California. Um, and he, of course, spent a lot of time talking about these antibody tests. And now, you know, surprisingly, that's become a bigger story this week as it sounds like Stanford University and a number of physicians out in California are testing people um, for coronavirus antibodies. For our listeners, can you pr explain what exactly that means? Yeah, absolutely. And my office is doing the same. There's a lot of misinformation out there about the FDA. And what your listeners should know is that there are no FDA, quote, approved, close quote, tests uh, for the coronavirus. All these tests that you hear about are being used under a emergency use use authorization by the FDA. So for the FDA to formally approve something takes months and sometimes years, but they have a process where they'll, they will look at your testing data and they'll give you information that says, you know, the numbers look pretty good. I don't think you're going to hurt anybody. So go ahead and use it under the emergency use authorization while we continue to do due diligence on what you're doing. So all these tests, the PCR, polymerase chain reaction, nasal swab that people are fearing, the, mm -hmm. some of these newer antibody tests, even the, uh, the, the announced Abbott laboratory antibody test, these are all being conducted under the emergency use, use authorization. So back to your question, antibodies. So, so just to clarify we, real quick, though, uh, not just the antibody test, but all coronavirus virus tests. So even if they're not just testing for antibodies, they're testing to see if you have the virus as well. Those aren't approved by the FDA. Correct. They're, they're approved from the standpoint of they're allowed to be used under the FDA's emergency use, right. use authorization. Okay. So continue. Sorry. So, so the, the test for the virus itself, sticking a swab up your nose uh, and, then, and then testing that to find viral DNA, actually RNA, is called a PCR or polymerase chain reaction test. It's generally thought to be the gold standard. The challenge with that test is if you're not acutely ill with a runny nose and a fever and so forth, the chances of you having enough virus that you can detect on the end of a Q-tip that's stuck up your nose is is uh, is very low, and so a a more a, a better testing mechanism is to test for antibodies. That is your body's reaction specifically against this virus. It's an older mm -hmm. test, and we've been doing this for years against all different kinds of uh, of illnesses, etc. And there's two basic antibodies. One is a memory antibody. I have patients that say, yeah, I remember when I was really ill in December and January. It was a horrible flu-like illness. 
I wonder if that could have been coronavirus. And we can test them for the memory antibody, which is called an IgG antibody. And if positive, it tells us that, yep, you were actually sick with coronavirus way back when, when you were ill. These antibodies are specific to the coronavirus. We okay. can also test for acute antibodies, meaning your body is actively fighting something off now, and those are called IgM antibodies. And so these new antibody tests, and there's a lot of them, different companies, uh, both locally and overseas, um, are coming onto the market, and those are the two antibodies that they test for. The beauty of this is that they're very quick. Unlike the Q-tip up the nose test that can take a few days to get back, this antibody test takes about 10 minutes, and we have an immediate, uh, immediate reaction. And I think, Ben, that the antibody testing, as they become more widespread, as they become vetted for accuracy, is going to be the path forward to reopen our economy. Now let's let's talk about that a bit because that's something that I heard as well from Dr. Hansen, and it was this this concept basically that if it turns out that much more of the population has been exposed to the virus and has had the virus already, then the mortality rate, the death rate, is much lower than we actually think it is. Correct? So then it might not be as dangerous as we think. Is that is that a possibility? Do you do you believe that um, that theory? Yeah, it, you know, we're, of course we're speculating, and I think it's more than a possibility. I think it's going to be a likelihood. So six months from now, when we look in the rearview mirror at what we just experienced, we're going to find that a far more people actually were exposed to this virus than we realized. Uh, some had mild symptoms. Some may not even have had symptoms, and they recovered from it. And so now when you do all the addition and, and the algebra to look at the number of people that were exposed versus the number of people that have died, I think we're going to see the mortality rate in the ballpark of what we see typically for influenza on any particular year. And, you know, I mentioned influenza, and I think it's important to note as we are focused or the media is focused on some of our healthcare systems that are being overwhelmed, and in particular New York and Seattle right. and, a, and a few other areas, what the media isn't telling you is that we are in the midst of one of the worst influenza seasons that we've had in a long time. So prior to coronavirus even coming on the scene, our healthcare systems were already being taxed by influenza. And it's sort of like the, the straw that broke the camel's back, that on top of a bad influenza season, we now had a coronavirus, and I think that's what really tipped us over the edge. Now, don't get me wrong, coronavirus is bad. It seems to be more contagious than influenza, and in a select group of at-risk people, uh, it, is, it is absolutely deadly. Uh, but I think we're going to find out, ultimately, the numbers are going to pan out very similar to influenza. Now, did you find that there was a higher need for resp or ventilators um, earlier on this year or in California? Because I, I know part of the argument, of course, for this is that in places like California, where millions of Chinese travel much more than anywhere else in the country, um, that, that the virus hit there much earlier, which is why we haven't seen the spikes that we've seen in New York. I think that's absolutely, absolutely true. And, and, and the, the fact of the matter is it's proven by what happened in Italy. Uh, so as many of your listeners know, uh, Italy has been in bed with the Chinese government for many, many years. Uh, China owns many of the, the, the big companies in Italy, and they have a constant back-and-forth flights directly from Wuhan with Chinese nas nationals uh, in Italy. 
So when this virus hit, there was back and forth going on directly with Wuhan, China, into Italy. In addition, Italy has an older population. Uh, Italy also has a disproportionate number of smokers, which is a risk factor for the, for the lung disease caused by this virus. And not to mention, in no small part, Italy is a socialized country and they have a national healthcare, nationalized healthcare system, which made things even worse. Anywhere where there's a national communist or socialist healthcare system, uh, it's a disaster waiting to happen. And that is in part what happened in Italy. Yeah. Well, do you think, I mean, it, it's still a lot of cases, obviously, in New York, and I guess that's the question. The biggest argument I found against this, just to push back and play devil's advocate for just a second here, is that, well, when we turn on the TV, you know, the way the media portrays it in New York City, it seems like their hospitals are being flooded with people that they, you know, uh, hundreds are dying. They don't know where to put the dead is a story you often see that, you know, they're thinking about putting them in parks <laughs> because there's nowhere to bury them. It's quite a grim picture. I mean, is that really something we would see from a disease that is just equally as deadly as the inf normal influenza? Well, there's no question that New York is getting hit very hard. Uh, but, you know, in the media, there's that expression, if it bleeds, it leads. And I think the media enjoys looking for the worst in any situation. Yeah. And so, you know, Andrew Cuomo, who's, who's been pretty effective on, uh, on TV with his press conferences, uh, as, you, as you watch him over time, his tone has decreased. So he was very hypercritical of President Trump and the need for these hundreds of thousands of ventilators and as it turns out, they've got plenty of ventilators. It's not in short supply. The federal government has come through nicely to New York. Um, there aren't body bags piling up on the sidewalks, et cetera. Um, now we're seeing the number of ICU admissions and hospital admissions in New York declining, not increasing. So New York seems to have turned the corner. Uh, but it's, it's certainly a great story if your goal is to criticize the federal government and specifically President Stop. Trump. Absolutely. And, I, and we spent a lot of time in the first half, I mean, talking not only Cuomo, but also, like I said, Governor Whitmer. It's incredibly frustrating to watch. I'm curious, so for California, um, with these antibody tests, why do you think that the antibody testing has started there? Um, we've seen that kind of been the first place in the United States where at least there's been a lot of talk about it, that they're going to be t testing the general population. I know you mentioned, uh, I think it was in, in Texas as well, they have the tests, but it seems like Stanford University is starting those tests. Why is that, and how long will it be until we have a better idea when we get the first results out? I mean, have you already started testing your patients for it? Yeah, we've tested about 100 patients already, and uh, we've got more lined up to test. And so far, preliminary numbers show we've, we've got about 4% of our patients that are testing positive for the IgG memory antibody. And that means they were exposed to coronavirus. Some were sick, some weren't sick, but they're showing uh, evidence that they were previously exposed. Our and so that, that seems to be about the number that we're seeing nationally that about 4% of the population uh, has been exposed to this virus, most of whom have recovered or weren't even aware that they were sick. Only a small percentage were on the critical side where they were injured from or, or worst case where they died from this virus. So are, are any of these tests that you've been conducting, the antibody ones, are they, have you conducted any of your asymptomatic patients that you wouldn't necessarily expect that they had it, but they were coming into the office for whatever reason? Um, or are these all people that, you know, were probably already from the likely pool of? 
The vast majority of them are patients that uh, remembered being ill December, January, and wanted to know if, uh, if, if this was it. Um, I've had a couple patients um, that were exposed to family members that were ill that were now positive for memory antibodies, meaning that they were exposed directly, never got symptoms or didn't realize they had symptoms, and now are showing uh, memory antibodies. So in effect, they're immune now to the virus. You know, it doesn't appear, you know, influenza, remember that we offer a flu shot every year and the flu shot is different every year because uh, that influenza virus is very good at mutating and turning itself into something different that our body doesn't recognize the next year. It appears, and of course, this is way too early to know, but it appears that coronavirus isn't very good at mutating. So we're really hopeful that there will be some herd immunity from those that have already been exposed and eventually, when and if a vaccination is created, that that vaccination will offer protection for long term. Yeah, I mean, in the herd immunity—that's something I, I, I read about, talked a bit about on here. If that's the, if we want herd immunity, though, and you know, let's say four percent of the population has already been exposed to it, does all this social distancing really make sense? Wouldn't that slow down the ability of herd herd immunity to take place? It does. You know, it's funny. I was listening to Tucker a couple of nights ago, and he was saying something like. You know, if you wanted to create a system where you, can, where you can expose and infect the most number of people, why don't you shut down the entire economy and every business, uh, but allow people to, you know, two or three times a week to go to their local supermarket yeah. and mingle? What a wonderful way to expose everybody to this virus. And, uh, and there's some truth to that. So, you know, part of the problem here, and I heard Larry Arn talk about this. He, helped, he hosted a town hall a handful of days ago. And he talked about the building of the Christ Chapel on Hillsdale College. Uh, my wife and I went out there last year for the, uh, for the opening of that. It was wonderful. And he said, you know, we have an architect, we have a general contractor, and so forth. If you right. want to know what's going on with the bricks, you talk, talk to the brick guy. And if you want to know what's going on with the marble, you talk to the marble guy. But if you want the big picture, it's not the individual specialist that you need to talk to. You need to talk to somebody that's got the bigger picture that can put it all together. And, and that's what we're seeing now start to come together a little bit. So Dr. Fauci, as good as he is and as reputably as he is, he's a healthcare specialist. And unfortunately, if all we do is look through the lens of healthcare, we're missing the big picture about the politics, about the economics, about the, um, the you know, especially the socioeconomically disadvantaged folks, the black and brown community that are being devastated by this economic suicide. So we need to very quickly start looking at the big picture. And fortunately, we've got a guy like Vice President Pence uh, that is in charge of the task force. We've got Ben Carson that's part of that task force. So we've yeah. got some bigger thinking people that I think are starting to focus and push back a little bit now on the need to continue to close down our economy. Yeah, and, and that was exactly where I think a point that we've heard, I mean, uh, I've heard numerous people say that, oh, I wish Dr. Carson, you know, would have had a, a bigger, you know, role in this task force, that it does seem kind of short-sighted. I mean, when you hear Dr. Fauci tell the country, oh, we're never going to go back to normal, uh, you know, in the foreseeable future, that, you know, the, the thing he's talking about is whether or not schools are going to be starting in, in the fall, you know, it, it seems a little bit 
ridiculous, almost like there is no sight beyond that. And um, it is certainly a political question. That's that's something Dr. Arn has talked about and, and something I've heard from numerous professors at Hillsdale as well. It's been interesting to follow. You know, from you being a, a medical professional, you know, and then also being able to see the political impact that it's having, the economic impact it's having on unemployment. I mean, uh, what do you predict? I mean, if these antibody tests go the way that you're, you're predicting, I mean, what, what what do you think that means about what we could see next for the economy? What would you suggest as uh, what, what President Trump should try and pursue? You know, I, and I, I posted some of this on, on Facebook for Hillsdale people that, you know, want to look at my Facebook post. Jeff Barkey, you can, uh, you can search me and see this. But, you know, I proposed, and I think we're going to see this in about a month from now. We're mid-April right now, and probably mid-May we'll see this. We'll see restaurants opening. All the workers will be tested, and obviously if they're negative or they have antibodies, they can go to work. We'll have customers now tested, so maybe a tent in the parking lot where these literally five or 10 minute tests will tell us whether or not they are, are immune or never have been exposed, and then they're invited in to have dinner or lunch or whatever it is. Same thing with retail outlets. Come on in, you know, we have hand sanitizer, we'll test you. If you don't wanna be tested, then put on an N95 or just a regular mask, which should be uh, perfectly fine from a protection standpoint. Wash your hands, sanitize your hands, put a mask on, welcome inside, and you're welcome to go shopping. So I think we'll see, hopefully, more of the politicians um, aligned with the healthcare experts to create a legitimate and reasonable path forward. You can never eliminate risk, but, but hell, on a, on a bad flu season, we will have 50,000 Americans die from flu. Heck, we've got 35,000 Americans every year that, that die from motor vehicle accidents, but we don't hoard toilet paper or shut down our economy for that. So I think yeah. we need to start seeing some reasonable risk being taken so we can open up the economy and so we can stop hurting so many people. You know, I, I heard recently, I think it was from somewhere in Michigan, there's a town that has a mental health hotline. Typically, they get about a 1,000 calls any particular month. And those calls have now gone from 1,000 to 25,000, uh, uh, you know, on a monthly basis. So we're hurting people with this economic collapse. And I think we're going to see at the end of the day when we look at all the numbers that more people have been hurt because of the economic collapse than, than were hurt by the coronavirus. Absolute insanity we're seeing. Absolutely crazy. I hope you're right about the the antibody tests and, and the results that we'll see. Um, that that could mean for, for all the listeners out there, if you missed the beginning of the interview, that if these antibody tests show that there's a lot more herd immunity than we thought, that there are a lot more people in the past have had it, then we could see think, markets and restaurants opening up much sooner. More on that you can find out online. But uh, Dr. Barkey, thank you so much for joining us. It was really great talking to you. Hey, my pleasure. Pursuing truth, defending liberty, sir. So you keep it up, and uh, thanks for all the work you do. So that was Dr. Jeffrey Barkey, a personal care physician of Newport Beach, California, out of Orange County over there. Wow, what an interview that was. And I think in the coming weeks, like I said, we're going to hear a lot more about this this antibody testing. And I want to correct myself. I, even in the next week, I just want to point out one thing Jeffrey Barkey said that really stood out for me. And I actually just texted him to confirm this. And that was that these antibody tests where he said he had patients that wanted to take them because they think they might have had coronavirus way back when in January. He says that his patients who have you know been positive for having the antibodies, 
countries having had coronavirus previously think they might have had it as early as December. December. That's big news, folks. You heard it here first on American View. I'll remind you that technically the first case in the United States was reported only in mid-January. So for people to have had it in December, that says a lot. More on this later on. Make sure you're following us on Facebook, American View, WRFH, or on Twitter, Ben underscore D-I-E-T-D. Thanks for joining us for this edition of American View on Quarantine, brought to you by Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Ben Dietrich, along here with my colleague, Teddy Burkhofer. Thank you for listening.